that's um, that you just show us something uh, from the Bible, whether it's something new or something that we need a reminder for. Lord, help us to put away distractions, tabs, games, phones, anything that could distract us because God, you have something for us today and we want to be receptive to it. Lord, we know that it might've been a long week for some of us. Maybe some of us are struggling, but Lord, your word today has the power to change our lives. So I pray that our hearts would be open to that. Uh, thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Uh, let's see. Share my screen now. Uh, we are moving no longer in topical uh, sermon. We will now move into back into James. Um, so let me share my screen. Let's see. All right. We are back in James. Um, the sermon, my title for my sermon today is prayer, a prayer for every season. And you might be thinking, did you make a mistake on, uh, on the slide, on the slideshow? Well, there's actually a, a story I want to share to start us off. Um, I don't often share this story a lot because I'm not sure if people believe me anymore. But uh, something happened when I was, I think, in junior high or elementary school. And I don't know if you guys will believe me, so just take it for what it is, and I'll let you guys decide what you want. But I was obsessed with the Marvel X-Men movie uh, that had come out in 2000. Uh, my hero back then was the Wolverine, uh, played by Hugh Jackman. So he is the greatest showman. And I'd watch that movie uh, every day <laughs> after school. I would get home from school, pop open my mom's laptop, put in the CD or the DVD. Um, and I was so excited just to watch the superheroes um, fight against evil. Um, and even when the second X-Men came out, my friend gave me a pirated copy uh, from China or something. And I love that movie so much. I would wake up on Sunday mornings at like 7 a.m. and watch that two-hour movie before church. I don't know why I like that movie so much. Um, and in my imagination during lunch and recess, I wanted to have superpowers. I wish I could be an X-Men. I wanted to be like Wolverine. And I even prayed to God that I could have superpowers. I wanted claws to come out of my knuckles and to beat up the bad guys uh, in my life or just the people I didn't like. Um, now, one time I was playing with my younger brother and this is where the story gets weird. I still don't know how to explain it, but uh, there's this move which you see on the screen, his signature move where he just lunges at his enemy with his claws and basically just uh, beats them. Um, and one time, me and my younger brother, we are uh, playing on the bed, just wrestling or whatever. And I lunged at him the same way you see Wolverine in the picture. And I thought I was just playing for fun. But all of a sudden, he's like, ow, Kevin, that hurts. And I was like, oh, it wasn't, it wasn't even that hard. You had blankets protecting you. Like, how hard could it really hurt? Um, and then when we expected closer, I looked at his foot. And there was a cut with blood coming out. And it wasn't like a scratch like a scratching with a fingernail, but it was like a perfect cut, almost like an X-Acto knife had just went in. And I thought, oh my goodness, did I just become the Wolverine for that split second? I looked at my hands to check if my fingernails were sharp. I checked the bed to see if there's any sharp objects and there was nothing. Uh, my brother looked at me in horror. I looked at myself in wonder. I looked at God in gratitude and thought, wow, did God just answer my prayer? And so to this day, 
I think I told one friend in eighth grade. I don't think he believed me. I'm not sure how many. I think I told Vanessa. I don't know if she believes me. And I'm telling you guys, and I don't know if you guys believe me. The point is something happened that day. Um, and I think the younger we are, maybe the more likely we're willing to ask God to do crazy things in our life. I think we're more likely uh, to think that God can answer, uh, answer our crazy prayers, that God can maybe use five bread and two fish to feed 5,000 people, that God can actually help us fly, that God can help us make it into the NBA. But I think sometimes the older we get, our faith tends to almost dwindle. We, we get too old. Um, there's no way we can get into the NBA. There's no way I can become Wolverine. There's no way any of these things can happen. And so today's sermon is about the power of prayer in all of life's circumstances, that whatever life throws at you, the good, the bad, the ugly, prayer is our greatest response. And prayer is simply talking to God. So whatever happens in life, whatever season you're in, the first person we should go to is God. This is right. This is good. And this is essentially what my sermon is about today. So to address the power of prayer in today's lesson, we are going back to the book of James, which I'm so happy to be back in the book of James. Praise the Lord. And remember, if uh, you don't remember what James was about, it was written to a poor Jewish congregation who suffered from persecution. And they were tempted to live like the world. And so James writes this letter to correct them. And today's passage instructs the audience and also instructs us how to pray in all of life. So the sermon preview for today is this, that there are three situations that we're going to learn how to pray in. The first one is, are you suffering? Second one is, are you joyful? Third one is, are you sick? In all these different circumstances, we are called to pray specifically. And I want to unpack how in more detail as we get there. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. You guys a second to turn there. The first part of my presentation, I don't have the verses on the slide because they're so short. So it would help to have a Bible in front of you. James chapter 5. Okay, once you're there, I'm going to read James 5, verses 13 to 18. Here's what it says. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So that's the whole passage we're going to talk about today. And we're going to unpack that a little bit at a time, starting with the area of suffering. Um, and so the first point is this, that are you suffering? The first point is that we should pray 
because this reveals your dependence on God's power to deliver you. Uh, in this verse, Christians are called to pray in suffering. And as you know, suffering is a common theme in James. In the very first chapter, James addresses suffering and trial. Um, it says, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials of various kinds. And it's not because Christians enjoy pain that is strange and weird, but it's because God's purpose for trials is to develop perseverance and character. So James kind of brings a full circle back in chapter five, and he picks up the idea of suffering again. And when we use the word suffering in, chap in verse 13, that's going to refer to any experience of difficulty that you might encounter in life. So it could be something like getting a bad grade, uh, like a B plus for some of you, or an actual bad grade, like a D or an F. It could be dealing with a strict teacher who writes really confusing test questions or doesn't understand when your Wi-Fi cuts out during class. Uh, it could be an experience of loneliness where uh, you wish you had real friends, friends that you can truly share your life with and be real with. Um, suffering could be just depression, that you don't see the point of life, that you, you hate your own life. Uh, suffering could be fighting with your family, that you and your parents, you guys bicker all the time, you and your siblings bicker all the time. Um, it could be a death in the family. So suffering can cover a wide range of experiences. And so when we suffer, we're called to pray. As I said earlier, prayer is simply talking to God. And prayer is a concept we're so familiar with. But I, I want to ask you guys, do you truly pray when life gets hard? We all know the concept of prayer, but the reality is, do you truly pray when life gets hard? Is God the first person you turn to? Or do we turn to the internet? Do we turn to Google, or if you're older, this website called Ask Jeeves. What do you turn to when life is hard? Is this social media or video games or TV show to make yourself, to distract yourself in your suffering? Simple, James is simple and straight to the point. When you suffer, you are to pray. And here are a couple application uh, points for us to consider when we uh, suffer. A lot of times when we suffer, sometimes we don't pray to God. In fact, sometimes we question God. Maybe we say things like, God, are you even here? Do you even see the way that I'm suffering? Or God, if you're here, do you even care about me? Do you even care about my family and about how difficult my life is? And sometimes we even question, God, are you even real? God, if you were real, you would change my life. And so sometimes we question God in our suffering. And I want to ask you, is that something you do? Maybe something else that we do in our suffering is maybe we give up on God. Maybe we stop reading our Bibles. What's the point of reading the Bible if God's not going to do anything anyways? What's the point of praying if God's not going to do anything anyways? Uh, what's the point of going to church if church isn't going to fix anything anyways? Maybe we uh, give up on God. But I want to encourage you, in your suffering, I want you to pray and cry out to God. That's what the Word of God commands us to do. Have you ever had a friend who they're going through a problem? They had a problem, but they wouldn't share it with you. That's probably got to feel a little frustrating. You might not be able to fix the problem, but you care about your friend and you want to hear how they're doing. Well, 
In a similar sense, God cares about you and he can actually do something about your problems. First Peter 5, 7 says, cast your cares on him for he cares for you. The difference is God wants to hear your problems and he, he can actually do something about your problems. And so you can, in your suffering, you can reflect on Bible passages that display God's goodness. If you are suffering in life, meditate on the goodness of God. Meditate on Romans 8, on Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. I beg you guys to read this verse. How can you not walk away changed? These are powerful verses. Um, so pray in your suffering. You can do different things, um, prayer journal, a prayer walk, or just pray whenever you can. These things are not magical formulas, but they're just different ways to pray. Um, I have a prayer journal, both a physical journal and an online journal. I find they're both very helpful when I'm really stressed in life. I just have to uh, brain dump or dump my heart onto um, a journal, and that really helps me. Sometimes I like just I just like to uh, pace around in my uh, in my house or to walk around in my uh, neighborhood um, or in the parking structure. That really helps me just get out of the house, see the blue sky or see the night sky, and just talk to God. And so I want to encourage you guys, when you're suffering, to pray. And that really is uh, what we're called to do. I remember. Uh, in my life, one of the worst pains, at least in my life, I don't, I wouldn't say I suffered a whole lot in my life, but one of the worst pains in my life, I would say is a breakup, uh, with a boyfriend, girlfriend. In some ways it's the death of a hope, the death of a dream. You think you're going to spend the life with a certain someone, but when it doesn't work out, you're really left to yourself to pick up the pieces. And I remember when I was experiencing a breakup, like in the morning, I would go through the same routine. I would wake up, uh, get breakfast, go on my phone, scroll through social media maybe watch a YouTube video. But after this breakup, I was just so, I think just confused. Like, what did I do wrong? Could I have done something better? And this regret. And during breakfast, I remember just having this desperation. Instead of scrolling through my phone, eating my cereal, I was scrolling through my Bible app. I was, or reading my paper Bible. I don't remember which one. And I was just so desperate. I was just flipping through the pages of the Bible. Like, God, I need you right now. I don't want Instagram. I don't want YouTube. Nothing there can fix my heart. I need you. And I just had this desperation for God because I was in that moment suffering and I needed God so desperately. I needed to talk to God. Nothing else, no one else, no other app could fix what I need in that moment. So whatever suffering is, social media, it's not going to fix you. TV, it's not going to fix you. Food, it's not going to make you feel better. God, prayer, those are the only things can address the needs of your heart. So I encourage you to pray to God in suffering. Now, that, that's when things are bad, but what about when things are good? What are we to do when things are good? Look with me at the end of uh, 13, 13b. It says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. And so that leads us to the second point, that are you joyful? If you are, then we are to praise God. This reveals your gratitude towards God for his blessings. Uh, the word cheerful means to be in good hearts or to be in a positive state of emotions, a peace of mind when things are happy or awesome. So this is when your grades are on track to finish strong in the semester. This is when you have a really exciting weekend coming up and you can't wait to hang out with your friends. This is when your crush likes or comments on your post and story and you're on cloud nine 
This is when you get a high score on a game and you beat your friends. This is when it's the Friday before Thanksgiving break and you're just so ecstatic for uh, a week off. So when things are happy, when life is joyful, we are to praise God. And the, the word for sing praise or to sing in this verse is from the Greek word solo, which is the word for psalm. And as you know, the book of Psalms, it's a book that leads God's people to sing and to praise and worship God. So when things are going well, praise God. Give God the credit for the good things in your life. If you got straight A's or your grades are good, it's not primarily because you're smart. It's not primarily because you spent hours doing the study uh, and the group study projects. It's because God gave you a brain to think. And it's because God allowed you to be allowed you to be born in a city in a good school district to give the resources to do well in school. Your success, it is not primarily dependent on you. Any good thing in life, it is because of God. And I think this is very um, obvious that we praise God for good things. But I actually want to say that when things are going well in life, this can actually be deceptively dangerous to your spiritual life. And that be that might be kind of weird to say, but let me explain. When things are good, don't you tend to forget about God? Don't you tend to become complacent and less desperate in your spiritual disciplines? When life is smooth sailing, we don't feel a sense of urgency. We don't feel a sense of desperation before God. And so just as there is a temptation when you're suffering, there is a temptation when life is good. You are tempted to forget God. In fact, I want you to think of King David from the Bible. He was at the height of his power when he fell into sin and he committed adultery and he slept with another man's wife, arranging for his murder. And this would change the course of his life forever. His life would be characterized by family strife in his family. He thought everything was great until it wasn't. So when life is good, we have to remember to praise God. We cannot let our guard down. This is very dangerous. It's a blind spot and it can lead us to uh, pride and to sin. And so here's a couple of application points for us when things are going well. I want, to, I want you to examine your heart during the good times. Let's say you get a good grade uh, on a test. Do you pat yourself on the back and say, that was all me. That was my intellect. Those are my brains. That was all me. I want you guys to slow down to remember that ultimately it's not you. It is God who gave you the gifts to do well in life. If you fail to see this, you're heading into a dangerous spot. You become overconfident in your ability to run your own life. And so do you praise God for the good things in your life? We have to practice gratitude and praise. This is a spiritual exercise, a spiritual discipline that reminds us of the goodness of God. So a couple of things that maybe could help you is maybe a quick prayer. Let's say uh, you get a gift for Christmas. It could be like, oh my gosh, God, thank you so much for these AirPods or thank you so much for this new bike or these new shoes. It could be a quick prayer. There's giving glory to God. Thank you, God, for this A+. This was all you. I know I studied and I filled out the answers, but ultimately it's you at the end of the day. That's a way you can give credit to where credit is due. Another way is to maybe start off the day with a worship song, to literally sing to God. Maybe you wake up at 7.55 and school starts at 8. <laughs> I know some of you like that mad scramble. You live off of that. 
but why don't you wake up a little bit earlier and start off your day right? There's a hundreds and millions of worship songs on YouTube or Spotify. Start off your day right. Praise God as you begin the day. Maybe at the end of, the, end of your day, you can count the ways God has blessed you. Maybe as you're preparing for your nighttime routine, you can think about, God, thank you that, uh, you know what, today was a sunny day. I like sunny days. I like blue skies. You know what, God, thank you that my mom made fried rice today. I really like it when she puts spam in my fried rice and that was really good. God, thank you that uh, it's only two weeks before Thanksgiving break. So these things are small ways that you can give glory to God. And lastly, it's kind of similar to before, but journal. Seriously, I love, I think journaling is super important uh, to just remind ourselves who God is, to give thanks to God. I love using the, I think the website Evernotes, you can use whatever you want, but Whenever something amazing happens, if I had a really good day, I just go on Evernote and I just journal it because I don't want to forget the details. And at the end of the journal entry, I like to say, <clears throat> I like to say, thank you, God, for giving me good friends, a good day and for the day to run smoothly. So these are some ways that you can thank God. Now let's move on to our final condition, sickness. When you are sick or maybe when a loved one is sick, how are we to pray? Let's look at uh, verses. Let's focus on verses 14. Let's look at verse 14 right now. It says this. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So if we are sick, and we just read this. Uh, we'll focus on verses 14. But we are called to call on church leaders to pray for us. And this reveals our trust in God and in his church. Now, the word, um, the word sick right here, I'll highlight that here. It refers to being physically sick. Some scholars think it might refer to being spiritually sick or spiritually weak, but in the Greek, in the New Testament, it always refers to a physical illness, like healing lepers in Matthew 10, 8, or Lazarus is described as being physically sick in John 11, 1. Uh, so physically sick, this could be cancer. It could be the coronavirus. It could be the flu. It could be a nagging injury on your ankle or foot. So anyone who is physically sick is called to do what? They're called uh, to call the elders of the church to pray. I don't know if you noticed it, but there was a very interesting shift. In James, in the previous verse, if you were in suffering or you, if you were in joy, you individually, you specifically were called to pray. But now look, now you are commanded to call on the elders of the church to pray. And of course, if you're sick, you should, of course, pray for yourself. But in this instance, we're commanded to call on the elders of the church to pray. You're dying and you're in, you're in pain. You need other people's help. Now, the word elders here, I don't want you guys to be confused. What is an elder? Uh, FCBC, we don't use the term elder, but an elder is basically a pastor. Uh, Peter tells the elders of the church to shepherd the flock that is among you in 1 Peter 5.2. So an elder is a spiritually mature leader who shepherded the church in preaching and teaching and care. So an elder is a pastor and a pastor is an elder. Hopefully that uh, makes sense. And so when the elder comes to your house or wherever the hospital, they are to pray over you. 
And it has this interesting uh, verb, or not verb, but phrase to anoint the sick person with oil. This is strange. We don't do this nowadays, uh, unless you have that tiger balm or uh, that oil that your mom makes you uh, rub on your belly when you have a stomach ache. And I don't want us to get caught up in this because the main point of this passage is to pray. But I think it's good to have a basic understanding of what anointing meant back then. Scholars debate that it probably had two purposes. First purpose, it might have had a practical purpose uh, for a medicinal use. So think of the Good Samaritan when he poured oil on the man when he was beaten. That's a very practical use. Uh, but in a second purpose, it might have had a religious purpose. So in the Old Testament, Aaron and his sons, uh, they were anointed and they were set apart as priests so that when someone is anointed, it's a symbol that they are being set apart for God's service. The commentary that I read, which made the most sense, is that anointing in this uh, context likely means a physical action with a symbolic significance. A physical action with a symbolic significance. So they are physically anointing someone but they're symbolizing that this person is being set apart and they are marked for God's special attention and care for the purpose that they may be healed. So that's just helpful for you guys to know, but remember that the main purpose is pray. That is the main purpose of uh, this passage. So when the elder comes over, when the pastors come over, when they pray and anoint the sick person, the desire and the results is as we see in verse 15, says this, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Now here's another interesting, maybe confusing word, uh, prayer of faith. Is that a special prayer? Is prayer of faith a special type of prayer? Uh, ESV uses prayer of faith. The NASB and NIV, they use, they say the words prayer offered in faith. Um, and if you remember James 1.6, that when you experience trials that you must pray and ask for wisdom, but you must believe and not doubt, all right? And so this is the prayer of faith. It's simply a prayer offered in faith. It's not necessarily like a special ritualistic type of prayer, but there is something interesting that doesn't show up in the English, but it shows up in the Greek. Uh, when James uses the word prayer in an earlier verse, he uses the most common word used for prayer. Uh, I think it's pronounced prosukomai. I don't know if I'm saying that right. But in verse 15, he uses a Greek word that only occurs two other times in the New Testament. I think it's pronounced uke. And so this type of prayer, it means a fervent wish or petition. Why would this give this a different sense? Well, one of the other times this word is used in the New Testament, it's used in Romans 9. And Paul uses it when he actually wishes that he would be accursed from Christ if it meant that his fellow Jewish brothers would be saved. So basically, Paul makes this wish and vow that he would be willing to give up his own salvation, be thrown in hell, if it meant his own Jewish brothers could come to know Christ. That is a prayer of faith. That's a desperate, fervent wish. How many of you would be willing to throw away your own salvation if it meant your own unbelieving family members would be saved. That is desperation. So James uses this, this prayer offered in faith. It's a desperate vow and petition before the one and only true God. Lives are at stake, so the prayers are desperate. 
And so the hope, as we see in verse 15, is that you ultimately want the person to be saved and that the Lord to raise him up. And remember, likely this person is physically sick. And so they want him to be physically healed. The hope is that Jesus will physically heal him and raise him up. Now, there is another sense where it could mean that God may not heal the sick person physically, but he may grant salvation to this person's soul. God may not heal this person physically, but maybe he allows this person's faith to grow in such a radical way. So there could be uh, multiple meanings for the word save uh, and raise up. And then James kind of adds something random. It looks like we're talking about the physical condition, but all of a sudden he talks about, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. That's a little random. Why would, what would sin have to do with being sick? Now you guys need to understand that in the ancient world, sin and sickness were often connected to one another. If you were sick, people would ask, oh, what did you do wrong? How did you sin? How did you anger God? In the story of Job, his friends assumed that Job had done something wrong, which is why he is afflicted. However, there are instances in the Bible where sickness is the result of sin. If you look at 1 Corinthians 11, 27 to 30, it says that those who take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, they will drink judgment upon themselves. And it's for that reason, some of them are weak, some of them are sick, and even died. And so I think the important word that we have to see here is the word if, right there. James is not saying that everyone who is sick is a result of sin, but he's saying that, that there are some instances where sickness may be the result of sin. And when it does, if that's the case, the elders and pastors will pray for you so that you may be healed physically and forgiven spiritually. James makes room for that uh, in instances like this. And so as a result, if our desire is for God to heal physically, then we are to confess our sins to one another. All right, so this is the next command. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. <clears throat> I'm not sure if you caught it again, but there was another important shift. In verse 13, if you were in suffering and in joy, you specifically were called to pray. And in verse 14, we see that the elders were called to pray. But now in verse 16, it's calling on the entire church to pray for one another. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Now James is addressing the entire church to pray for those who are seriously ill. The entire church has a responsibility to pray for one another, to confess their sins to one another. Why? Well, at the end of verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And so James gives an example of a person who is righteous. Um, the story of Elijah. This will be in the next slide. Elijah, a man of prayer. So he gives a story of Elijah, a righteous man. He says this, that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. If you don't know the story of Elijah, he's a well-known and admired prophet by the Jews for his miracles. 
But James wants to emphasize how similar Elijah was to us. He is, uh, not that one. He has a nature like ours. He's a human just like us. And so in this context, God sends Elijah, who is a prophet, to confront the evil King Ahab for leading Israel into false worship. And this is in the Old Testament. And Elijah prays that it would not rain. And God answers his prayer. It didn't rain for three years. And this severely hurts the agriculture, the crops, the economy. And after three years, Elijah prays again. And God answers his prayer. And the skies darken and the clouds come and they rain a lot. And so what are we supposed to take away from this? That our prayers are effective and powerful. But it's not because of the person. It's not because of us. It's because of the object of our faith and prayers. Elijah is a normal person just like us. But both Elijah and us, we put our faith in God. God is the common denominator. That is why prayer is powerful. It's not about the person. It's about the God that we are praying to. Now, here's a question that might come up for some of us, which is this. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful, but how is righteous defined? Am I a righteous person? I sin all the time. If there was a spiritual GPA, uh, I'm probably not an A plus and God dies. I'm not even 100. I could be maybe an 80 or a 75. Worse yet, I might be a 50. I haven't been a really good Christian lately. Maybe that's what some of us are thinking. Maybe if I was higher in my spiritual grades, like a 90%, maybe my prayers would work more. But I think the truth is this. Apart from God, we are not 80%. We are not 75%. That's a little too generous. In God's eyes, we are 0%. That is the reality of total depravity, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that, in a sense, we are failures before God. We would flunk spiritually compared to God's holiness. Now, there is someone who would have a perfect grade, a perfect spiritual GPA. That would be Jesus. He would score 100% if there was a spiritual grade. He's perfect. He's holy. This makes sense. But this is the gospel truth. Only people with a perfect 100%, a spiritual perfect GPA can be right with God and can go to heaven and be with him forever. And so if humanity has a 0%, if we have a failing grade before God, well, we rightly deserve our punishment, which is eternity apart from God, which is hell. But the gospel is this, that God sent his own son, Jesus, the only perfect man who had a spiritual 100%, and he basically switches grades with us so that now Jesus has a failing 0%. So he suffers our punishment, which is the wrath of God. Why? So that we might receive his perfect 100% grade. Jesus gets our failing record and we get his perfect record. This is why as Christians, though we struggle in sin, though we're not perfect, we can be declared righteous before God. We have his imputed or transferred righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that for our sake, he meaning God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, Jesus, we sinners might become the righteousness of God. This is why the gospel is such good news. That's why if you are a Christian, you are righteous. You are a righteous person. You have a 100% record in God's eyes. 
the word righteous can be described of you because the blood of Christ has covered you and has transferred his perfect record to you. Isn't that amazing? So that when God looks at your record, it's, it is as if you have never sinned. That is the beauty, the sheer grace of the gospel. So we are considered righteous and our prayers are effective. So the question is, what are you waiting for? Once we hear this, should this not compel us to pray? Should this not drive us to our knees to beg God for his grace in our life? Your prayers are effective because you are righteous by the blood of Christ. Here's a couple of application points for a prayer for the sick. Number one is this, pray with confidence for the sick because the prayers of a righteous person are powerful. As I just said, you have the same nature as Elijah. You're a human being, he's a human being. You don't need to be a super Christian or an angel. The Bible says you're a human and you are righteous by the blood of Christ if you're a Christian. So we are children of God. What child ought to be afraid to approach his father with a request. So pray in confidence. Know that you are seen as righteous by the blood of Christ and approach the throne of grace with your prayer request for the sick. Secondly, is to pray with open hands for the sick, knowing that any healing is a gift from God and according to his will. Just because we are considered righteous, it doesn't mean that every prayer we pray will be answered. God does not uh, heal every person that is sick in our life. At the end of the day, healing is a gift from God. He may or may not choose to heal our sick loved ones. If you have a loved one who is sick or has suffered and you truly prayed for God's healing power and didn't happen, I want to encourage you. Don't be too hard on yourself. Don't think, oh man, if only I had more faith. I want you to remember, you might have the biggest faith in the world, but healing happens according to God's will. It is up to God's will if he chooses to heal our loved ones. So this is a very delicate balance that our prayer does change things, but also God's will will be done. The two can coexist. I think a lot of you guys know by now about my dad and a lung cancer that a couple of years back, 2014, my dad was diagnosed with lung cancer and he wasn't a Christian at the time. And so he's diagnosed with stage four lung cancer, which is the last stage. Um, and I just remember during those uh, months when he was diagnosed, the church family would just be at our house uh, the whole time, uh, not the whole time, but a lot of times. And my mom, my family would pray a lot. Pastors came over, people brought food, which was amazing. And my dad did improve a little bit, but at the end of the day, God ultimately did not heal him physically. It was not in God's will to heal my dad of cancer. But you know what? God did something better. He saved my dad's soul. He granted my dad salvation. God opened the eyes of my dad to see his need for a savior. There is nothing in this, his life that made him worthy of heaven. It's only the blood of Christ that washed him. And so God maybe did not answer the prayer that we wanted to, but in a sense, he still raised my dad up. He still gave him the gift of salvation. And I also shared this before in a sermon, but in those moments, I had, I struggled a lot because I don't think I had the faith that I wish I had. Sometimes I had thoughts in my mind, like, 
why should I pray if God's not going to heal him anyways? Like, why do I want to open my heart and be disappointed at the end of the day? Why would I open my heart for disappointment? And so in order to protect my own heart, to protect my own, I, myself from disappointment, I didn't go to God in faith as much as I should have. If I could go back, I wish I could go back and join my mom and my church family on my knees in prayer, actually believing God could do something. But one of my regrets in my life is that I didn't have that faith or desperation that I wish that, uh, that I wish I had, that I saw that my mom and church family had. And so I think that's, it's really a delicate balance of our prayers change things, but God also has a will as well. And they both coexist. And I think for me, I took the easy way out. I just wanted to protect myself. So I didn't uh, pray the difficult prayer. So I want to encourage you guys to pray with confidence. God does change things because of our prayers, but he also has a will and they work in a mysterious way. Lastly, come to youth prayer meeting. This is not a shameless plug, but we actually seriously do pray for the sick and suffering at prayer meeting. You know, we, play, we prayed for Yishinwe Bryce uh, this past Wednesday. We, we prayed for Leslie Ho. Um, when, the, when, youth, when you guys have a death of a loved one, we pray for you, you guys as well by name. And I think a couple of weeks ago, we were talking at the end of youth prayer meeting, and we we're just seeing how... Um, Students, you guys were stretched to pray more and to actually enjoy that time of prayer. So give it a shot. Uh, we would love to see you guys. We shortened it by 30 minutes. <laughs> Hopefully that helps a little bit. Um, it's no commitment. Just check it out and see, see what you think. But if you really want to pray as a church and to grow closer as a body, this is one way that you can grow closer together. Here's my big idea for today. I guess recap first. I always forget this. Are you suffering? Pray. This reveals your dependence on God's power to save you. That's our first point. Second point is, are you joyful? Praise God. This reveals your gratitude towards God for his blessings. And three, are you sick? Call on church leaders to pray for you. This reveals your trust in God and his church. Here's my big idea for today. <clears throat> the blood of Christ makes your soul righteous and your prayers effective. If you are not a Christian, in a sense, you cannot pray. Not in the sense that you're a child of God. You can still cry out to God, but you cannot pray from the perspective or from the position as a child of God. And so if you're not a Christian, I wouldn't even say pray. I would say get right with God. Consider the gospel message that this is the first most important thing you can do. And then if you are a Christian, then you begin a relationship uh, with God. And then you pray, then you talk to him. The blood of Christ makes your soul righteous and it makes your prayers effective. So whatever life throws at you, suffering, joy, sickness, or everything and anything between, pray, pray to God. He will answer your prayers according to his will for his glory and for our good. Let me pray for us right now. Lord, we come before you knowing that we do not pray as often as we should. We live in a digital distracted age where we check our phones every couple of seconds. And so our prayer life has suffered and dwindled. But God, I pray that you change that. 
help us to put our, uh, set our phones aside, throw it on the couch and just spend time with you daily. And to know that when we suffer, when we're joyful and when we're sick, to go to you in prayer is the best thing we can do. God, I pray that you bless our small group times as we talk about how we're actually doing in life. Help us to pray as a result of that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay. Uh...